Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael, and today you are tuning in to Spell It Out, Magic Reflections and Shadows, where I pick a topic and I run with it. So today I am going to continue from the topic last month, which is clairvoyance, because after the show I thought about it and I thought, oh, I really had a few more things I wanted to talk about with clairvoyance, and I... I needed some more time, and it is a really interesting topic, so we're going to continue with that today. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody, and thanks again for tuning into our show. We love all you guys, and it's really nice to see all of our subscribers growing on our channel. So if you like our show, click subscribe. It really helps a ton, and and we just love having you guys around. And we hope you're being entertained by everything we're doing, because I know that we are for sure. Um, we've got some really great shows coming up, um, and next week, Chris and I are going to do our own show, and she's going to interview me, believe it or not, so you're going to get to hear me a lot more. And we're going to do a show on Freemasonry. As you know, I, I was master of my Masonic Lodge, and we're going to be talking about the, the one of the oldest, the oldest fraternity in the world and very mystical. That should be great fun, so tune in for that. Um, and then we have our special coming up. It's going to be on Sunday, the 16th. It's a two-hour special. We're going to do an hour and then a little 15-minute break and then a second hour. And we're going to have a, a, a lot of our paranormal friends on, Holly Lindblom and Craig Owens, uh, Amanda from Spooky Eats. We're going to have Mystic Mitten, uh, Jeff Mandel, our friend. And so we're going to be talking about all kinds of paranormal stuff. So tune in for that for sure. Um, and then Reverend Jim's going to be back this month. So lots of great stuff coming up. So get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H. Um, and while you're there, if you can afford it, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It's uh, nice to help us cover our production costs, but it's not necessary because we just do this for the love of it. Um, and then, you know, if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, that's great too. So I know we've got a, a shorter show today with Spell It Out, so I'm not going to take up more of your time. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And I did want to say hello back to Darian. So thank you for listening. He's a, a real supportive fan, and we really appreciate you, Darian. So... Um, I would advise people to listen to the first one, but I will quickly review a little bit of what I covered in my first show on clairvoyance last month. I talked about my own introduction to the concept, how I learned about it through Casey and my Buddhist teacher. I also presented mostly the Western esoteric view of clairvoyance using Ledbetter's book on clairvoyance, because honestly, there's not a lot of deeply written things that are just titled clairvoyance out there. there there's clairvoyance within books, and so you have to take the time to find that. And I, I find there's a lot more information about how to develop clairvoyance. So I am interested in what exactly is clairvoyance. Uh, and then I talked a little bit about the ways people developed it very quickly, um, and a little, just a tiny bit about the Eastern view, and I'm going to spend more time with some of the Eastern view today, because I am going to cover uh, a little bit more from Ledbetter's book about 
clairvoyance in space because he has a couple of interesting thoughts that I hadn't heard before and I wanted to share those. And then where, what part of the body, which many of you know is associated with clairvoyance, which is the sixth chakra. We're going to talk about that chakra and the third eye. And um, again, just kind of briefly to introduce you and also because I found some really interesting thoughts in one book that I really uh, particularly related to myself. So excuse me, so let's get going on today's show. Uh, so as I said, um, I used Ledbetter's book a lot and he divides clairvoyance up in different types, but also into different sort of levels of ability, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, excuse me one second. And um, in one of the types, he calls it clairvoyance in space, which basically means that you see things from a distance, though some people also interpret it as, as going to different realms, like going into, so it gets a little crazy with what is clairvoyance in space. But generally speaking, it's about, you know, being able to see what's going on in another place that you normally couldn't see with your physical eyes. What I found interesting in his book is that he actually lists five ways to do that. And I'm just going to go over them sort of briefly. And I would, one of them is actually fairly complex. And that's one reason why I won't go over them to not today is because I, it takes a little while to really talk about and it's got a little more physics in it, actually. So the first way he describes of, of seeing through in this way through space, where again, we're looking at objects and people through it that are not near us. He says you can do it by the assistance of a nature spirit or a deceased person. Now, he said that technically really isn't clairvoyance, so it looks like that, but it's more associated with magic. So you would use invocation to, you know, get the, the nature spirit to work for you. And then, of course, the problem with the deceased person idea is um, they may not necessarily tell you the truth. So not a very reliable way to do it, <laughs> but certainly interesting, I would say. Then he, this is the second one was uh, by means of an astral current. And he goes into this really long, interesting explanation of how you set up this astral current. And it's almost like a tube that you kind of look through. And so it has a limitation because you can't move this tube um, except in one way. And though he does say you can also use a crystal ball as sort of the foci to start that. So that's another way. And then the third way of clairvoyance in space, doing it is through the projection of a thought form, which would seems like that would take some ability. The next is the one I think I'm the most familiar with, and I think it's the one Aleister Crowley is talking about in his book, by traveling in the astral body, which again, I would say takes a little bit of um, an ability, but you can train to do it. It's not, and, and in fact, you're doing that in the dream time, according to many people. You naturally go into the astral realm and and that's where you can actually see people you actually know and people that have died and all of that. Uh, and then the last one, which is very, very advanced, is by traveling in the mental body, because according to theosophists, the mental body is higher than the etheric and astral body. And so it takes someone that's done a lot of work, and most of us are not able to do that. And I got the impression that if you're able to travel into the met with the mental body is you can go into incredible realms. So then you think of like the stories of yogis that have traveled into these other realms. And, and that's to me probably connected to the mental body. So I did want to just share that with you because I thought it was really, really fascinating. And uh, again, on one level, you could say, well, there's no real proof of that. But I don't know. I, I think that 
especially the astral body one, because of the idea that, you know, if you read a lot of dream books, you'll see that people do actually meet real people they know. And there's really interesting stories about that. Uh, I remember, for instance, um, my friend Lainey, who I trained with, she had these neighbors and they were both they were both artists and they were both big dreamers and they actually met first in the dream world and i think they lived pretty far away from each other and they actually met in life and and got together as a couple and i always thought that was so cool and so interesting and, and a lot of times artists uh in general people with the artistic mind have a sort of knack uh, of doing some of these things because they don't have as many boundaries you know in their psyche so to speak uh, now, there was one other point I did want to also make that was more connected to Ledbetter and the Western esoteric view of clairvoyance before I go into a little more of the Eastern view again, and then sort of where you find uh, clairvoyance in the body is when I was looking at clairvoyance in time, which again, that's the ability to go kind of back and forth in time, the past and into the future and that is actually a, a, a yogic city so it's a, a supernatural power that comes if you do a lot of yoga and meditation and so um i did mention about they that he calls it the second sight where you're able to see into the future and um i did forget to mention this i thought was kind of amusing <laughs> is um not this part, but the the part, um, one part he said that it seems like a lot of Scottish Highlanders have this ability, which I thought was interesting because Michael has that in his background. But the part that I thought was a little amusing was that he says that it's common in mountaineers and men of lonely lives. And I said, oh, that's kind of sad. But I guess if you're by yourself, again, you're going to be able to develop some of these techniques. And I, I would say it would be women as well that are living alone. And um, the other thing that, that I wanted to mention, though, about the ability of clairvoyance in time is it's also associated with, if you're looking at the past, being able to see people's past lives. Now, I wanted to make a, uh, maybe have a little minor rant about this because there are many, many people out there who do readings for people that claim they see your past lives. And I'm not saying that they're all wrong, but I think it's a lot harder to clearly see someone else's past lives than people make it out to be. And I will say Ledbetter says, and, and, and he's a, a much more wise person than me in terms of his background in the occult. He wrote many, many books and he was a theosophist. And what he says, quote, is a considerable development of occult faculty is necessary before an investigator can definitely trace a line of incarnations whether they be his own or another man's. Now, so that, I really wanted to put that out there because I think sometimes people imagine things and it's not really their past life. I do think that past life regression has kind of advanced the ability for us to all remember our certain past lives. But again, it takes some work. It takes the right person that knows how to take you into the past life. And it, it can be a little bit tiring, to tell you the truth. So just be a little wary of that, that it takes someone developed. If anyone thinks, you know, I can do this so easily, and, and, and especially if they haven't really seen their own past lives, I would be a little suspect of it. So the next part of the show, I want to spend a little bit more, again, focused on the, the Eastern view. And I, I, I did a little bit of research on, I've always been interested in what exactly are 
these cities that they talk about when you read yoga and what exactly are they? And I, I wasn't able to fully come up with some definitive things to share with you on clairvoyance because it differed a little bit. And I could see it was a lot more complex, but it, there does seem to be sort of levels of supernatural powers. Like, for instance, it was common that there's eight really strong powers, and then there's either 10 minor powers. And um, but, but clairvoyance fell, depending on what tradition in the Eastern um, and Hindu world you were in, or even in Vajrayana, a Tibetan Buddhism, there were some differences where clairvoyance would fall within a certain power. So it didn't seem like clairvoyance itself had its own power, but it was included within certain powers. And um, for those that that don't know um, what Siddhi means, it's a, it's a Sanskrit referring to the extraordinary powers of the Atma or self, and it's developed through meditation and yoga. And as I mentioned in the first show, it's normally not something you're supposed to strive for as a yogi, that it's a side effect, and therefore it can be an indication that you are doing, you're advancing on the path. So it's sort of say, hey, keep going, keep doing what you want. And again, on the first show, I did mention that there's a lot um, more, I guess, Eastern view that you shouldn't be talking about these powers and that you shouldn't really care about them because it distracts you from the real goal. And although I am not, I, I am fine with people to some degree talking about powers in the right context, I can see where the ego can be fed if we think, okay, I'm now clairvoyant and Krista can see all kinds of things, you know. And if, if nothing else, what I've learned about studying clairvoyance myself is there's, there's definitely levels of how good a person is. And I would say the majority of people are not full clairvoyance. And from what I can understand, the full clairvoyant is the one that can really help spiritually and help in a lot of ways. And I think as long as people are being honest about what their clairvoyance is and saying, well, I see, you know, I, I don't see the future. I only see the past, or I only can tell these things about a person, then I think it's fine to talk about. I, I listened to one video of a woman, I forget her name now, but she's a theosophical person, and she had a, a video on YouTube called Demystifying Clairvoyance. And she she's a person born with clairvoyance, and I, I found her very humble. And she would even say things like, well, you know, I don't know, or no, that's not how I do things. And I, I just had these abilities and this is who I am. I'm not any better than you. It's just that this is what I was born with. And I, I she really struck me as someone that really cared about a person, people and wanted to help people. In fact, she's in the healing professions. Um, so she uses it as a healing um, tool. So anyway, um, going back to the where clairvoyance kind of falls, um, there was, there was one uh, article I read in, it's called the Eight Supernatural Powers, the Zen Universe. And it's, um, I'll leave the link in um, under the, the YouTube video. And basically this particular site said there were eight primary cities, 10 secondary cities and five cities that are sp specific for concentration. And, and this site says clairvoyance appears to fall into, into two following um, supernatural powers. One is called Mahima and what, the other is called Prapti. And the Mahima is the ability to increase one's size or make your body heavy. So not sure why clairvoyance falls into that, but Ledbetter actually mentions that in his book, the, the increasing one's size. 
And um, the property is the ability to obtain anything. So I guess that kind of makes some sense to me. Um, so I would say um, I'm not going to spend much more time on that because I it's pretty complicated. What I wanted to jump into, though, was the idea of where clairvoyance sits in the body. And almost everyone in the spiritual world knows that clairvoyance is connected to the third eye or the uh, brow chakra here between the eyes and or it's the sixth chakra. And the book I drew my information from, I really like, it's called Wheels of Light by Dr. Anodia Judith. And she presents um, in such a nice way uh, the different chakras. She has keynote words and she explains things in a way that you can understand. Uh, but has a lot of depth. In fact, I, I really like her writing. There's some really fascinating things about just the, the sixth chakra. So um, she says about it, for instance, um, that it's associated with the third eye, and she calls that an etheric organ of psychic perception floating between our two physical eyes. She says the third eye sees beyond the physical world, bringing us added insight, just as reading between the lines of written material brings us deeper understanding. So I, I already liked that. Uh, her key words for that chakra are light, color, scene, intuition, visualization, imagination, clairvoyance, and vision. And so you can see how accessing any of those areas can lead to clairvoyance. So for instance, imagination. Imagination gets so underlooked in the spiritual world. And when you think of the many artists that become psychic or they do something psychic without realizing it, it's because it's connected to the same idea. So one of the most fascinating things about clairvoyance is it incorporates a lot of um, thoughts. And, and one of the things it really incorporates is light. And, and there's all kinds of ways in which it reflects and understanding how light works, whether it's the way our eyes see things, which she describes actually in her book, um, or the idea of clear seeing. But it's not it's not just seeing images, even though that is a big part of it. It's 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 a little more than that, I find, because some people don't actually see the images as clearly as other people. Uh, and then I, what I liked is she also goes into um, some other sort of associations with this chakra. And um, one was uh, that I liked, of course, is the gland. Each of the chakras have glands. It's the pineal gland. But the other one I really thought was interesting was she says when it's malfunctioning that the sixth chakra, you'll, you'll have things like blindness, headaches, nightmares, eye strained, and blurred vision. Uh, I've had the headaches and the nightmares. <laughs> so I must have a malfunctioning third eye. I never thought of it that way. Uh, and... Actually, when I was a little girl, I did have something where I think it indicated my third eye was maybe a little too open for my age because I would close my eyes and I thought everybody could do this. I was quite young. I was like maybe second and third grade and I would see these kaleidoscope of beautiful colors and it was so relaxing and so beautiful I would just do that and I, I didn't really talk about it to anyone because I thought that's what everybody did when they closed their eyes and so what's interesting though when my my actual physical eyesight got worse and I think I also had a little bit of a trauma 
that stopped happening. So I thought, wow, maybe that's kind of connected to it. Now there's also, you know, there's that kind of myth that the blind person can, you know, see and have a psychic ability. So I'm not saying this is always true, but I thought it was really kind of an interesting idea. And then she also associates uh, the planets Jupiter and Neptune with the sixth chakra, which I could totally see Neptune. And the animal is the owl, which I think is really cool. I like that. So um, she, in her book, she, she divides this topic into different parts of examining, um, first of all, the sixth chakra. She does talk about light, which I really love the way she talks about light. And um, maybe I'll come back to this. It's it's a little long, some of the, the quote, um, but there was one thing she even just said, which I really liked, was very poetic, that light is the voice of atoms and molecules. I think, isn't that beautiful? I just love that. I just thought, wow, that's so true. And um, I, I want to maybe spend the most time on what she says specifically about clairvoyance, because I thought it was really cool. And I just loved this quote. And it's a fairly long one, but I, I think... Which one am I going to read? I'll start with this one. So in this, she this is the beginning of her part about clairvoyance. And she says that the term clairvoyance means clear seeing. This is seeing that is not muddled by the opaque world of material objects normally defining our limited sense of space and time. The wor words clear and seeing quite accurately describe the processes involved. To be clairvoyant, we need to look in the spaces that are clear, to look at the fields of energy, not at the objects themselves, to look at the relationships, not things, to see the world as a whole, and to reach with our minds directly and clearly for the information we want. The more clarity we have within ourselves, the better we'll be able to see the subtle properties of the world around us. That just totally wowed me because it made me think of how we view Kabbalah and seeing the patterns in a tarot reading. That idea that clairvoyance is not these separate images that we're looking at and that we're seeing, but that it's actually a way of beginning to look at the integration of the world and that a clairvoyant of, let, let's say, a very evolved clairvoyant, that is what he or she is doing. They're, they're looking at something. And, and so my, my own, um, maybe just my own personal experience of listening sometimes to clairvoyants talk where they'll, I see this symbol, I see that symbol, and I think, that must be a very partial way of using clairvoyance instead of someone that sits down and already begins to see things in relationship to one another. And so I thought that was just so beautiful. And I've never really heard anyone say that about clairvoyance. Um, there were a couple other quotes that I really liked that she had too. Um, one was, um, she talked about, as I mentioned, that if you spend time just visualizing and working with your imagination, you will simultaneously develop clairvoyance. So that's kind of a little sideway in which you can get into clairvoyance, which to me probably would be safer in some ways because you're it's kind of innocent. You're just, you know, in your imagination or you're visualizing something you want. And so I thought that was also really helpful too. Um, there was one other quote I wanted to mention that she has towards the end and she says, uh, oh, this one I really love because it had something to do with questions. 
So she says that, quote, the development of clairvoyance, and again, we're talking Anodia Judith, Dr. Anodia Judith, she's a PhD, the development of clairvoyance depends on the development of the visual screen and the creation of an ordering system with which to access information for the screen. The development of visualization is the ability to retrieve, create, and project images onto the mental screen. Once this is done, seeing depends largely on asking the right questions. And I love that because that is a, a theme I have come across as a tarot reader is that sometimes people come in and it just seems like they ask the right questions because of the response from the cards. And again, this is what I learned doing readings. I learned that, you know, uh, for instance, there was this young man who came in um, early on in my career and he told me he had been focused on his question all day long, literally. And I don't, I think he told me the question even, but the cards were just so lit up and so clear and so easy to read. And I said, wow, and that's why I asked him, how did you do this? And, and he had asked the right question for himself and also concentrated on it. So I love that she talks about that it has a lot to do with, you know, this information, um, asking a question that's pertinent. So my advice is if you're not getting an answer, uh, that you like and you keep going back with some of the same questions and maybe you should, you know, just ask a completely different question and you'll find it sort of shakes things up a little bit. So that's a little bit about where it is. And I, I think that um, sort of in, in a sort of summary way, I'd like to say that one of the reasons I initially wanted to talk about clairvoyance is because I think it's a word that everyone throws around and I have found that we don't really necessarily mean the same things by it. And I would like a start to, to start a conversation about should we begin to define these psychic abilities in ways that have some commonality so that, and also shouldn't we also want to see the real deal and to see what's really possible? Because I think sometimes people have like an overkill on their resumes and they do 10 million things. And I, I just don't buy it myself. And it sort of dismisses the real possibility of us developing what they are considered sort of superpowers. And I believe in superpowers, but I don't think we're there yet, a lot of us. And I know I'm not. <laughs> and, and I've been involved for a very long time, but I know there are people that have tapped into the psyche in ways that are, are very helpful to humanity and also very real. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to actually talk about it. And it was it was a little it was really fascinating what I learned. So I'm really glad I, I did it. Um, there is a, a little bit of a warning that I also wanted to share, which I agree with with Ledbetter is at the end of his book, he he has this warning for people. Um, well for us that these grand faculties will not be possessed by all humanity until it has evolved to a far higher level in morality as well as in wisdom. Else should we but repeat once more under still worse conditions the terrible downfall of the great Atlant Atlantean civilization whose members failed to realize that increased power meant increased responsibility. Yet we ourselves were most of us among these very men let us hope that we have learned wisdom by that failure and that when the possibilities of the wider life open before us once more, this time we shall bear the trial 
better. And that really resonated with me, the idea of having these powers fully developed in, in a time when we are ready to handle them. In fact, sometimes it can make people go mad if you think of the fact that you have, um, let's say you're born with clairvoyance and you don't have anyone to really help you to learn to control it. And you can evidently learn to turn it off and on, which some people don't believe you can. But again, that's usually done with the help of other people and spiritual teachers that will teach you how to maintain your sanity. So um, it's not, you're not necessarily more evolved if you're clairvoyant. You can be. Don't ever think that someone is better, a better reader than you because they say that they're they're clairvoyant. Um, you, the tools are fantastic in divination if you know how to use them. But I, I think it's really um, important for us to start to define these abilities and to see what they really are and come up with some common denominators so at least we can talk to one another about it. So I, I hope that really gets you interested in clairvoyance. And by the way, the most a common way to develop clairvoyance in many things I looked at is through meditation. And there's of course different meditation practices. Some of them are very simple and they seem quite safe. So, you know, you can find, find online tons of ways to develop clairvoyance, but co the common one was meditation, I would say. So thank you for tuning in again. I hope this helps, this added information, understanding clairvoyance for you. It certainly did for me, if nothing else. And I look forward to seeing you next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a magical week.